It is the 200 level episode 108, Plan B. We move on to Plan B because this is a solutions-based podcast. We don't just want to talk about the problems. We want to offer some sort of solution, and that is what college football and really college sports in general needs right now. And that's one thing that I did miss on Monday. I think I might have briefly mentioned it, but Josh Whitman did yesterday in his press conference, if you want to call it that, over Zoom with media members, that it's not just about football players, it's about all fall sports. So all these student-athletes, volleyball, you name it, they don't get their season because of COVID-19. But it's not just that. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in episode 107 essentially placing the blame game on people up at the very top. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on the Big Ten, for example, and the fact that they had months to figure something out, and they didn't really figure out anything. And now it is coaches like Jeff Brom putting a plan out there that actually makes some kind of sense for how you would get two seasons in one year in 2021. Meanwhile, just thinking, okay, what was the Big Ten doing for two months? So we're going to get into all that. We got this plan from Jeff Brom, which I think is interesting. We got Josh Whitman's comments from yesterday, and it's been a long week. It has been a long week in a series of long weeks, but I think that if you're a sports fan, this one was particularly tough to take because we were all looking forward to a return to normalcy, quote unquote, because I know the word normal is completely different than what we would have thought it, you know, five, six months ago. But we were looking forward to football season, even myself, a self-proclaimed cynic of Illini football. And even if they would have went three and seven, as I predicted a week ago, and this, that's what's crazy is it was a week ago that I was down here in the basement doing a sort of dare to dream segment based on the schedule that we all knew there were contingencies built in. Basically, will you play the entire season? Will you play five games? Will you play none of them? But it was an exercise that I felt compelled to do because I was genuinely excited just for the return of football, even if the team itself wasn't so great. We got a lot to cover today, plus Harry Black. I'm going to keep the opening segment a little bit short because the uh, conversation with Harry goes for about 50 minutes, and it was good to get his perspective, as always. And I, I told him during this conversation that I don't want to turn it into something like, Harry, you were a student-athlete, so what do you think about this? Plus, he also hates the label student-athlete, which I completely understand. But it was nice to just catch up with him in general, and we have some fun with what is a somewhat downer of a conversation especially when it comes to the behaviors of college students. And that seems to be the variable that is either being very much underrated by college administrators, or they know full well what college students will do when they come back to campus. They're just going to see how long they can ride this thing out. Great conversation with Harry coming up in a bit. But before we get to all of that, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. You can get a custom zone with any topping that you want. You can get one of their signature calzones like the Maui Wowie, the buffer zone. You get dipping sauce on the side. Delicious as always. You can get a cookie for a side. You can get a drink. But here's the best thing of all. Whatever you do get from DP Doe, they can deliver it to your door. If you live in Champaign-Urbana, piping hot, just order online at dpdoe.com. Again, that's dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby. Now, it may be today. It may be tomorrow. I'm recording this Thursday. They have new designs coming out. And I know that there's not going to be a football season this fall. But I think that's all the more reason to look forward to whenever football returns. And you need to see these designs that they have coming out. I think there's two or three football ones along with some others. I'm going to be buying a few of these shirts. They look amazing. So be on the lookout. We'll retweet it 
at the 200 level on Twitter, but uh, also be on the lookout for Fourth and Kirby at their website, fourthandkirby.com, or you can find them on Twitter as well. These designs, so cool, vintage-inspired Alani apparel as always, and these are going to be nice to add to your collection, fourthandkirby.com. And State Farm agent, Brian Hansen, online at brianismyguy.com, wife, auto, home, business renters, you name it, Brian has you covered along with his staff, and they're all local products. So they are not just insurance experts, but they have your local interest at heart. That's brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent, Brian Hansen. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners in the relaunch of the 200 level. I say the relaunch, we are just cruising along here. Episode 36 was our return. We're episode 108. We're doing about two a week. Now, before I get into the meat of today's episode, a couple things. First off, I appreciate a few of the new reviews we've gotten. Very kind and thoughtful on uh, iTunes, or I should say Apple Podcast. If you want to help us get a bump, so when someone searches a line eye on whatever podcast app they have, rate or review us. And even if that's a two-star review and you hate listen to the 200 level, that's fine. You can write that down. We're totally cool with that. I'm sure we have a few people that don't particularly like the podcast, but for whatever reason, they tune in. But if you like it or you don't, a rate or review, a rating or review, I should say, would be really helpful as we try to find new listeners. We got a great base. We always have. And as we go forward, like any podcast, we're just trying to expand that base. So thank you for staying with us. Thank you for the ratings and the reviews. That is a big help. Also, I start teaching next week. It will be remote. I'll be from home, but my days will be back to normal somewhat. I'll be checking in at 7.30 and checking out at 3. So what that means in terms of the podcast is I still plan on doing two a week. And that just means that the release schedule may be a little bit different. Maybe instead of a Monday, Thursday, it might be a Tuesday, Friday. I'll have to do these in the afternoons and evenings. Instant reactions, if something really big happens, that's probably off the table for, well, the rest of the school year because we're we're back in school, even if we aren't physically in the school environment. So that is one change that be on the lookout for if that means just a little more patience in terms of when these things are released. That's essentially it. But we will be here for two episodes a week. That's the plan. About an hour, hour plus per episode. And we'll keep rolling with it. You know, the interviews have been a lot of fun this summer. I think that because of the absence of live sports, we'll continue to get some interesting people on the podcast. We'll get some old friends on as well, get Harry and Trevor back in the mix as we roll through these fall months. But, you know, that's the cool thing about doing a podcast is being able to kind of tinker with the formula. And one thing about the 200 level that is somewhat liberating is that we don't really have a set formula. I guess there's the opening segment that's somewhat static, regardless of what goes on the rest of the episode. But sometimes it's an interview. Sometimes it's more of a conversational thing with a Harry or Trevor, you know, the guys that you know. But as we go along, we're just going to kind of roll with it. So if you're so inclined, keep rolling along with us. All right, here's the news today as I sit here on a Thursday morning and am trying to find the positives in what was a very long week for college sports. I say that, and it appears that other conferences are going to go full steam ahead. So the Big 12, they seem optimistic. SEC, you can damn well guarantee they're going to find any way, shape, or form that they can get those football games in this fall. Same with the ACC to an extent. Now, the heart condition that we found in the Indiana linemen, for example, that seems to be the big thing that sort of opened the eyes, or at least in the words of these college presidents, opened their eyes to the dangers of playing during this pandemic. And 
we could say what we want to about football players. They are in relatively good to excellent shape. But you're still at risk if you are at a certain weight level. No matter how many bench presses you can do of crazy amounts of weight, if you are 300 plus pounds, you are going to be susceptible to this. So the risks are well documented. I think it's okay to question the motives and also question what the Big Ten was doing for the last two months, same with the Pac-12, and really for any of these conferences. They had an entire summer, and really, you can go back to March and April, and they should have been able to foresee that even if the numbers weren't as bad as they are right now, that this virus was going to be present, whether it was 500 new cases a day, or in the case of this country, what is it, 60, 70,000 a day, 1,000 plus deaths a day. You know, it's not good, but even if it were a little bit better, they would have still been dealing with the same issues. And we see that. I mean, in Champaign Urbana, the positivity rate is very low. So you can make the argument that, well, why would Illinois' football team, or I guess more to the point, why would Chancellor Jones, who made the vote, why would he vote against playing football? And I think there's plenty of good reasons to question that decision, though I would revert back to the simplicity of it, which is it is a physical game. Guys are breathing and sweating on each other. You got 110 players per team, if you include all the walk-ons and everything. And eventually you cannot be doing staggered workouts. You cannot be doing social distancing, any of that sort of thing. And the mask wearing thing, again, how are you going to get that on a 300 plus pound offensive or defensive lineman and ask them to wear a mask during a game? And even if they did, those things are effective, but not 100% so. All these things considered, it is okay to say, yes, you're making the best decision in terms of health and safety, but on the other hand, still question whether or not health and safety was of the utmost importance to these chancellors and presidents, or if it is simply a liability issue. I think it's okay to question that. Uh, Josh Whitman, I know he had said something last week about, I wish people wouldn't question motives, but it's impossible. And not even so much in a cynical fashion, but I think just being realistic about it and knowing the money that is tied up into these things and the liability concerns that would follow if someone got sick or died. And those are considerations I know were playing into Chancellor Jones' decision. I'm going to get to that in a bit because Josh Whitman spoke yesterday. Chancellor Jones did not, even though he was the one who voted. He was the representative for the university when the Big Ten voted, and he did, like the uh, 11 other Big Ten schools, not named Iowa or Nebraska, vote against playing football. But before we get to that, here's the good news. And I'll call it good news because I think that this is something coming from a head coach, a respected one at that, may actually have legs. This is from Jeff Brom, and this is a pretty well-organized Microsoft Word thing. It's color-coded, all of that. This is from Adam Rittenberg, but it's kind of making the rounds. Pat Forty, uh, Pete Thamel, Tamil, I think from SI. All the college football writers have gotten a hold of this. And here is the basic structure, according to Jeff Brom. A spring and a fall season. Eight games in the spring, beginning February 27th through April 17th, fall season 10 games, October 2nd through Saturday, December 11th. So you have a two-week training camp, six weeks prior to game one. This begins January 16th, essentially, when students come back for spring semester. That runs through February 26th. So six weeks total before the first game, an eight-game season that begins on February 27th. No bye week. Two-week prep before the postseason begins, and the postseason will begin May 1st and run through May 15th. 16 playoff, Power 5 Conference champs plus wild card. Top two seeds have a first round bye. So that is his plan. And then you get the summer off, 
Training camp begins, it looks like a summer period from July 19th to August 27th. Training camp officially begins August 28th through September 3rd. Uh, or I should say the month of September before games resume on October 2nd. 10-game season with one bye week, season ending on December 11th, and then the playoff after that. Power 5 plus wild card. So this is from Jeff Brom, and I think that something like this could have legs because if we're seeing something in the decisions from these conferences, public sentiment does have a little bit to do with it. And here's what I mean by that. We get the leak, so to speak, on Sunday into Monday that the Big Ten is going to cancel their football season. When we did the podcast on Monday, it had not been made official. And I don't even know if there was an official vote. It seemed inevitable. That's why I decided to go with it, even though we didn't get the official word. But why did it take them then another 24 to 48 hours to make the official announcement? I think that has to do with public sentiment. They saw the blowback and they figured, okay, well, how are we going to maybe get this messaging together? How are we going to explain ourselves and try to save face in all of this? That is where public sentiment comes in. So if the public takes this and runs with it and says, well, why not? And this is coming from a head coach who I think has his finger on the pulse of what is doable. Now, certainly we would have questions about health and safety. Can you ask a college athlete to play a minimum of 18 games in one calendar year? That is quite a bit, and we wouldn't even ask an NFL player to do that. They have a 16-game schedule, and that's why whenever they propose the 18 games, the players' union balks at it. This is spread out. Maybe it is doable, coming from someone that has to deal with training camp and practices, and I would hope that Jeff Brom is considering the health and safety of his student-athletes when putting this out there. The We Want to Play movement, as they feed into this or respond to this, I would think that they'd say, yeah, absolutely, we want to play. And then we'll see how much they stick to their guns about health and safety protocols, about eligibility, those sorts of things. But this offers an opportunity. And this is where it's just maddening to think about, you know, I I said this plenty on Monday, I will not belabor the point. But in the last five plus months, the biggest frustration I've had is that we find that the people with the most power are just either afraid to make a decision Or instead, they come up with a half-measure solution, which really doesn't address anything at all. But (laughs) what were these conferences doing? You know, let's say, let's say, they decide to come out and they announce that the fall season is canceled. Okay, that's fine. But why could you not have come up with a contingency plan in the last two, three months that if we need to cancel fall football, here's what the spring could look like? So it's essentially canceling school, right? And saying, I don't know when we're coming back. We're canceling the season. I don't know when we're coming back. And even if they laid out something like Jeff Brom does here, this contingency plan, plan B, and you get to December and it's very clear that you can't pull this off. Okay, fine. Then make the decision then. But it boggles the mind that with all the money tied up into college football, that the Big Ten and other conferences wouldn't be thinking in the last two, three months, okay, if we cancel the fall, how can we somehow get a season in? before we get to next fall. Right here, as I look at Jeff Brom's thing, it seems feasible. I'm no expert. I don't know the grind like Harry Black. And this is where I wish that we had Harry today. We had him on Wednesday to ask him about this. Eight games, 10 games. I know that this idea is not new. Over the last week, we've seen people say, how about 10 games in the spring, 10 games in the fall, or eight and eight, whatever it may look like. But now we have something tangible and something we can look at, bulleted, color-coded, easy to digest, 
It makes sense. On its face, it makes sense. It will be interesting to see if this develops into something larger, but now that it already has some steam on Twitter, and God knows the college football fans are going to be saying, yes, do this, do this, or at least Big Ten, Pac-12 fans, because it does appear at the moment that the Big 12, ACC, and SEC, they're going to go full steam ahead. That can change. One thing that Harry and I talk about in this conversation coming up is how it seems, and this is going to sound very cynical, it seems that these college presidents and chancellors, they know full well the powder keg of bringing in tens of thousands of students back to campus. So that's why the decision to cancel football, but say we're still bringing 40,000 back to Champaign-Urbana, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Or Urbana-Champaign, if we're going UIUC. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because you know that the behaviors aren't going to be any different. I had a conversation with Josh Amatterbebe on Twitter. God, that feels like a week ago, but it was actually Tuesday. Had a conversation back and forth with him about three or four tweets each, and he said that for football players, this was going to be an incentive to not behave in certain ways. They had game day to worry about, they weren't going to go out and party, or they were going to be less inclined to do so. And I responded by saying, you're kind of making my point for me, Josh, and that college kids will be college kids. And I think it'd be naive to assume that just because there's games on the schedule or practice on Monday that a college football player is going to say, you know what, I'm not going to hang out with friends. I'm not going to go to my friend's apartment, or I'm not going to go out to the bars. Some certainly would. And as Harry and I talk about the Brandon Peters and the Josh Matter Babies and the Luke Fords of the world, the, the faces of the program would probably be more careful this fall than they would be otherwise. And that's good for public health and also for the health and safety of their teammates. But it is impossible to guarantee that for 110 athletes. So how can we guarantee that for 40,000 students? And this is where cynically I look at this fall and colleges and universities opening up, even with best laid plans like we have here at the university and all the testing sites, I think 20 different tents open up and all the saliva tests ready to go. Even with best laid plans, you are assuming that behaviors will change. Or if you aren't assuming behaviors will change, that's just stupid. I mean, this is ingrained in our culture and not quite in our DNA. It's probably not evolutionary or anything like that, but college kids will be college kids. We all know that. And to ask or assume that they will change fundamentally how they act, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So at the end of the day, as we get into late September, early October, when there's outbreaks on fraternity and sorority rows, when there's outbreaks in dorms, large apartment complexes that are not equipped with ventilation systems and all that to keep this airborne virus from going, well, airborne, we're going to see a lot of these places shut down. And they'll keep that tuition. They'll keep that room and board. Maybe they'll reimburse some of it. But that's where cynically you think, okay, this whole thing is about money. We, we can't sit here and think that universities are opening up for the educational benefit of their students. Okay, I know that some professors and certainly some administrators are feeling that way. They're benevolent. They want to make sure that they are offering what their college or university has to offer to students. But there is a profit motive here. And I don't think we should lose sight of that as these decisions are being made. And all these plans are put in place so these places can say, U of I included, we're doing our best. We did our best. And that inevitably, when you send students home in late September, early October, you can wash your hands of it and say, well, gosh darn it, we tried. Just didn't work. When we all know, in all likelihood, it probably won't, if we're just being realistic about it here. I think 5% positivity is what it is for the state of Illinois before we would have to revert back to a previous phase. And 
locally were really low. But man, you know, the next week or two when the kids are coming down and they're going to Target, they're going to County Market, wherever it may be, they're going to Portillo's up on Prospect. It's one of those situations where I'll just be back at my house, teaching online, going to Schnooks once a week for groceries and just waiting and hoping, fingers crossed, that nothing really crazy pops up here. So that is certainly a cynical way to view it. But it does lead back to that conversation from Monday about how college universities and presidents, how conference leaders like Kevin Warren, how athletic directors to an extent. And I don't know if I put Josh Whitman in this because you did find out this week that athletic directors only have so much power. They didn't make the vote for the Big Ten here. They didn't make the vote for the Pac-12 if they did take a vote. I'm not really even sure. But this comes down to university presidents and chancellors. And for these athletic directors, in their defense, I think that they were given directives and they said, okay, well, we're going to try to carry this out as safely as we can. No one wanted to be the school with the outbreak. So they tried to set up as many safety protocols as they could. Josh Whitman referenced how all the hours and time spent by the DIA in making this thing work, the infrastructure that they put in place. And then all of a sudden, you kind of get the rug pulled out from under you, and it's over. I can't imagine the frustration and disappointment in that because they probably felt in their heart of hearts that they could make this work. Because they saw for the last month that for the most part, it was working. That even after positive tests came in the first round of testing, they were able to mitigate those, quarantine those individuals, and keep it from spreading. And they seemed to be full steam ahead. Now, as I mentioned before, that could have all changed when the rest of the student population got down here. But the athletic department, kudos to them, did their job. Okay, I I need to give them credit for that. I also understand optically, it's a bad look for Josh Whitman to have to answer for Chancellor Jones. Jeremy wrote an article about this for Illini Inquirer that Josh Whitman was essentially answering questions that Chancellor Jones should be. And I think it was a travel engagement which kept Chancellor Jones from being part of that media availability yesterday. So far, I've really liked what President Colleen and Chancellor Jones have done. God knows that this university has had a lot of issues at the president and chancellor level. And it feels like these two have stabilized things in a way that this university hasn't had in a while. This is not something that is disqualifying or, oh my God, I can't believe Chancellor Jones did this. Maybe it was a travel issue. And I don't necessarily disagree with the decision to not play football. The health and safety issues are paramount, in my mind at least, and football is not so important to me that I need to watch it for my entertainment, knowing that there will be some individuals that get severely ill or maybe even die. So I don't question the decision, but I think he should have been available to answer those questions because you know, this is the livelihood of his athletic department. And I know that they operate on a separate budget. The DIA operates on one and the school in general operates on another. But these are people's jobs and these are student athletes trades, if you will. And that gets into the whole union discussion. But uh, now they won't be able to practice their trade. And now the DIA was going to inevitably have to lay people off. This has real world consequences. So Chancellor Jones, I think will answer for it. So far, so good in terms of taking accountability for things. I I don't question that he will eventually talk about it, but that is something that, given the gravity of that decision, he probably should have been available from the outset. Now, there is a university leader making themselves available from Nebraska. This actually just came out. I'm glad it did. (laughs) From Nebraska's Chancellor Ronnie Green and President Ted Carter, a statement, because as we remember earlier this week, again, it feels like a month ago. It's been a long week. 
Scott Frost was very vocal about, well, we're going to play. And yeah, yeah. Okay, shut up, Scott Frost. First off, Nebraska has been a complete dud. And I know that Illinois only beat them once. So it's not like I can puff my chest out in terms of on the field. But Nebraska has been a total dud for the Big Ten. I don't think they've won any Big Ten West divisions. Maybe they did one year with Bo Pelini. But for the most part, between the Mike Riley and the Scott Frost era, it ain't good. And this is a statement from them after Scott Frost was acting like Tom Osborne Jr. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln is a fully committed member of the Big Ten Conference. It is an unparalleled athletic and academic alliance. We have the greatest fans in college athletics. This has been a difficult and disappointing week for the Husker family. We all look forward to the day when we can cheer on our student-athletes on the field and in the arena. End quote. Which is another way of saying, Daddy, please don't spake us too hard. Nebraska was not brought into the conference for their academics. They were brought in for their football program, which has been mediocre since they arrived. And this is a university president and chancellor that are speaking over their head coach. It is remarkable to me how in the last two years, Scott Frost gets there. He's the golden boy. And I think we all figured that he was going to be successful sooner rather than later. And that may still be the case. It may still be. But talk about a braggadocio that he has not earned yet, that Nebraska has not earned over the last decade, to think that they are so big where they can go off and say, you know what, screw you guys, we're going to go figure it out ourselves. Disappointed, sure. Bummed that they won't be able to play football this fall, understandable. But know your role, Nebraska. I mean, they're the fourth, fifth option some years in the Big Ten West. So for them to do that, I I get it from the Ohio States of the world. Ohio State's big enough where they could say, you know what, we want to try this. Gene Smith very quickly, their athletic director, very quickly last night came out and said, after exploring some options, nah, we're just going to set it out because we're very happy to be a part of the Big Ten Conference. All 14 of these schools should be, and Rutgers and Nebraska more than anybody. But at least Rutgers, (laughs) I don't think at least Greg Schiano made a big fuss about it because he probably understands that, you know, we don't got a lot of clout in this whole thing. We're Rutgers, and by the time they joined the conference, I was pretty much gone, and we've sucked for the last decade. Nebraska is acting like 1990s Nebraska, despite not really having accomplished anything. So best of luck to Scott Frost. But if I were to be honest, I'm more concerned with what Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern are going to do over the next decade than I am Scott Frost and Nebraska. But man, was that an ultimate tail between your legs moment when the president and chancellor come out and say that. And even if they didn't directly talk to Scott Frost, if he sees that, you know, he's thinking, oh boy, I just should have kept my mouth shut. Or maybe he's not. Who knows? If you grew up in that Tom Osborne school of Nebraska football, you think that your you know what doesn't really stink. Okay, so as we get ready for Harry Black here in a few minutes, again, what a week. I hope that these podcasts were not overly negative or cynical. As we try to navigate through a sportsless fall, it will really be about looking forward to when they do resume. And that's why this was a little bit of fun to record and just read the Brom plan, plan B. And think of a situation where we could get college basketball in a bubble and college football in late February into March and have a really busy winter spring. I think that it is possible, you know, and I don't know all the medical stuff in terms of how much is just a vaccine going to fix. I'm optimistic we'll get one just because I have to be. Otherwise, it'd be total doomsday, as Joshua Matterbebe had said on, on Twitter. That's the last point before we get to Harry. In interacting with Josh, you know, listen, he is a very intelligent young man. I'm not going to say kid. He's a young man. He's, I think, what, fifth-year senior He was going to have a big year on the field. I cannot imagine 
the disappointment that he and his teammates and really any college football player would have in being told that you cannot play this year. So it was my decision to respond to him was because he was being very vague about what he said were politics. Politics are ruining this. And judging by some of the tweets, I could see the direction that he was going, but he wasn't outright saying it. And I would prefer someone just say, okay, well, what do you mean? Because I could come on here and just say politics, schmolitics. But if I don't give you a specific, then I'm just throwing a random word out there that has no meaning. So while he did not really clarify the political stance of it, he did get down to the behaviors of college students, the fact that, I don't know, it, 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 was, a, it was a muddled conversation. I honestly left it a little bit disappointed that there wasn't more clarification on his end, but at the same time, would I necessarily expect that from someone when they're probably feeling emotional about the decision? How could you not be feeling emotional about it? He's an individual that maybe I could talk to down the road or uh, get an interview set up with him, though my relationship with the DIA is what we say non-existent. Uh, But (laughs) he would certainly be an interesting interview. And I did enjoy the back and forth with him and was trying to be very conscientious of the fact that, you know, I'm not speaking to another random Twitter person. I'm speaking to someone that actually puts in 40 hours a week, essentially, to do what they do. So as I wrap up this opening segment, that is something that I say it and I don't want to belabor the point because I think it goes without saying. At the end of the day, the feelings of disappointment and frustration that a student athlete would have far outweigh my own or any fan. And if we are to have some empathy for anybody in this situation, it would be these individuals that work their asses off and are told, nah, you can't do that. And if I were to think of something similar, it'd be like uh, my band gets an opportunity to go tour. And then COVID-19 happens right before we go on our first big tour. This could be our big break. And similarly, how these athletes in the performance center, they get told, okay, well, you aren't going to play this year. And in their minds, I think a lot of their minds, they thought that this was going to be a breakout season for them. And they get the rug pulled out from under them. They don't even get to find out if it would have been a breakout season. Instead, hey, you know, come for lifting and, and workouts and all that throughout the fall. And we'll play when we play whether that's next spring or an entire calendar year from now. In all likelihood, it's probably going to be a year because if it's any indication, the way the Big Ten was unable to come up with a contingency before, well, three weeks before the season started, it is hard to imagine that they're going to find a way to safely pull this off in the spring, or at least in their minds, safe enough, where they can absolve themselves of liability and accountability if someone got sick from COVID. But man, we better hope that magic bullet arrives soon. And we better hope that the vaccines are super effective if we want the next summer and fall to be normal, so to speak. Because I want to see Rage Against the Machine. I want to see Dave Matthews Band. I got Rolling Stones tickets. I'm going to go see Dead & Company if they're back out and about. I need concerts. A lot of you need sporting events. I would like those too. We need those mass gatherings to happen again because that is one of the essential things, in my mind at least, uh, one of the essential things to living is being in a communal group of a bunch of other people that have the same interests as you do, there is nothing quite like it. So let's get back to that. So my solutions-based final statement in this opening segment. Look at the plan B, Big Ten, see if you can't work this out, assuming that there will be a vaccine available in time for the spring season to commence and maybe improve testing and then you get it low enough to get to contact tracing. That, of course, all assumes that the general public gets their crap together. And then B, hope for the magic bullet. 
get the vaccine, then we'll be underway. All right, so that's a little bit of optimism at the end of a week. We got Harry Black here. Fun conversation with a good old friend, and this goes on for about 50 minutes. We get into the disappointment that these athletes would be feeling. We get into what that college experience would be like in the middle of a pandemic, which is to say probably not all that different if you think about it. And in trying to put myself in a college student's shoes, if I'm going into my freshman year or senior year, I think you could go with the bookend years, your freshman or senior year, and you either as a freshman know that you only got this four-year opportunity to live it up, or as a senior, you know that this is your last chance. Being told to significantly alter your behaviors when you know that you probably won't get severely ill from it, that is a steeper hill for them to climb than, let's say, an adult 25 to 85, I don't care what demographic it is, that should know better. And as a preface, Harry and I talk about this, how why are we giving such a longer leash for college students and their behaviors than we would the general public? So we scold people for not wearing a mask, and yet 18 to 22-year-olds, ah, kids will be kids. I'm fully aware of that dichotomy in this conversation. But we go with it anyways. We try to hash it out a bit. And uh, without further ado, it is the incomparable, the one and only, friend of the show and all-around good guy, Harry Black on the 200 level. So, Harry, what hobby are you going to be picking up on fall Saturdays now that we are... Well, I say that. You know, there might be some conferences playing. You might got the uh, SEC. Big 12 sounds like they're going to do it. ACC, that's out by where you are. But uh, let's be real. This is all... It seems inevitable, kind of like it did back in March, right? That we're marching towards uh, no college football, just as we did no March Madness. Yeah, it does seem like it's kind of like a slow trickle right now. Like you had the conferences that wanted to stick by what they need or what they wanted back in March, how I think it was the ACC was stopped in the middle of one of their games. And, uh, and the big East was the last conference to go. I feel like the big East in basketball can kind of equate to the SEC in football. As far as like, you look at the big East as the basketball conference, the SEC is the football conference. So, just like the Big East was the last one to kind of halt everything, that's probably going to end up being the SEC. You do have conferences like the Big 12 coming out and saying that they do intend on moving forward with the season. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see if that's really possible. I kind of get a chuckle out of these people coming out and saying, why are we making this decision right now? We have time because – let me make this clear. I'm on like either side right now. I mean – I've kind of been seeing this as an inevitability. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I would want football in the fall, but I understand with everything that's going on, I've kind of gotten to the point right now, I've told you and Trevor uh, via text that if we could just stop everything and then in a year pick up everything and it will be fine, that's that's the boat I'm on, but that's obviously not going to happen. That's not something that's realistic. But like the idea that we don't need to stop everything right now when we have a little bit of time, what makes people think, what makes these coaches think that we have time? I mean, I mean, we've, we've been dealing with this for, let's see, it's August now, five, six months. And they think that another two weeks is going to change absolutely anything. No, no, you're going to get, if that's the case, you're going to get to the point where it's a couple days before you need to get ready for your first opening game. Then all the students are back on there. You have an outbreak. Now you have no idea what to do. So that 
that kind of uh, school of thought is is foolish in my opinion. And then as far as what I'm actually going to be doing on <laughs> fall Saturdays, I don't know, man. It sucks, I mean, man. I, yeah, it just I, does. I heard, it does. I, I heard certain reports, um, you know, from the likes of like Schefter and and people having to do with the NFL that maybe the NFL could move some of their games to Saturday. Absolutely. They already have those games later in the year on Saturday, but obviously that's because there's no college football later in the year. If there was no college football at the start of the season, they might find a way to move games around and put them on Saturday because really they have no problem doing that. The only problem with that would be, well, we need to make sure our fans are, are well, I mean, accounted for and they know what they're doing as far as, as a hotel arrangement and stuff like that. Well, guess what? There are no fans, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, so I guess maybe I'll be looking forward to watching some NFL football as long as that lasts. And then aside from that, uh, same thing I've been doing for the last five months on Saturday, not knowing it's Saturday. We, we have a lot to unpack here because I remember distinctly the conversation we had when we found out that these guys were coming back to campus at the end of May, oh, yeah. early June. And yeah. we had the discussion on your favorite label, student athlete. A very well, apt student label. athlete. Yeah, yeah, I thought you were going to go another direction. That's one oh. of my favorite labels. <laughs> my other favorite label was voluntary workouts. Oh, of course. Yes, voluntary. Not at all mandatory. Wink, wink. Nudge, no, nudge. no, no, no. Of course not. Of but course not. as we sit here today, I, I, I am having a difficult time pinpointing the blame I would place in terms of the colleges and the athletic departments. I've already made it very clear on Twitter like who I ultimately blame for this, and I, I'm talking about uh, the fact that you and I, or really anybody we know, our, our regular scheduled programming, so to speak, in our lives has been interrupted probably far more than it had to be. But then when it comes down to the colleges, athletic directors, presidents, how do you kind of divvy up I don't know if even blame is the right word, but it, it just seems like the last two months, you, you hit, on, hit it on the head here how things won't change in the next two weeks. So I don't know what these conferences are waiting for. Just as things didn't really change all that much from mid-June to now, and yet now you have conferences and university presidents finally making a call that they could have made well before these student-athletes set foot on campus. That's what I'm having a hard time reconciling here. Yeah, the weird thing is the question everyone's asking is what necessarily changed? And it's kind of weird because you feel like after all this time and looking at the virus in the way that we have for the last couple months, you would think we would know everything we need to know. But just over the last couple of weeks, I think what really kind of popped up and started giving everyone pause is these players in the Big Ten. I think there's a guy in Indiana um, Minnesota wide have, receiver too. Oh, you're talking about the Mayo, whatever the heart condition. Yes, yeah, Indiana the heart, the heart, the heart condition. Um, and you can say whatever you want. How that's like one out of however many people. It's still it's still scaring people um, enough to obviously change some minds. It is interesting though that we didn't know this information way before, like a week or so ago, because I feel like we definitely should have. Um, I looked at it the whole time thinking, why are we getting ready for this season? Because I never thought it was going to happen. I didn't think it had anything to do with the idea of the myocarditis or anything with heart conditions. I personally thought it was because I didn't think students were going to be coming back in the fall anyway. And I thought that if students aren't coming back in the fall, why are you going to make it okay for these athletes to come back on campus? Don't tell me that it's a bubble because 
that's only when they're still on campus. They still have to do all the traveling. They still need to go to all these places. Something you're saying isn't safer for, uh, for the general student population. But now that it's clear that students are going to be coming back on campus for certain schools, Illinois included, um, it, 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 it does bring up the question of what necessarily changed. And I don't know if maybe, maybe the easiest way to look at this is that the people at the top in the Big Ten specifically and at some of these schools, maybe we just have to look at them and say they're human after all. Like they kind of just thought the problem was going to solve itself. Clearly it didn't. They're getting closer and closer to the supposed start of the season and then realizing, oh, wait a minute, this problem hasn't fixed itself. We still can't go out there and play because we're putting certain people like the ones like the at risk individuals, even more so at risk by saying there could be a season. Yeah. And also, I think of the frustration of Josh Whitman or other athletic directors and all these DIAs, whatever the university may be, and the effort that was put into establishing all these protocols and these testing procedures. And that costs money and that takes time. And they do that. And uh, this is where I'm kind of waffling back and forth, Harry, because on one hand, uh, whatever the motives behind instituting all these testing protocols and finding any way to get these student athletes back to campus. Whatever the motives are, I do think that most athletic directors were trying to do so as safely as possible. But then on the other hand, this is where I go back to that student athlete label and why it's so troublesome. If this were not a tens of millions of dollars kind of thing that we were talking about, would the same efforts have been made? To put these testing, oh, no. pers- right? So that that that's where no, I continue to think that uh, okay, wait a second. Uh, best intentions or not, it is impossible to not think. Well, wait a second. Um, let's say high schools had the resources that universities did, but they didn't have the income coming into the schools from their high school football programs or high school basketball programs. Would they bother? And I, I think the answer is probably not to the same level as these college football programs that are trying so hard to make it work, even though all the outside elements are saying you probably can't pull this off. It's interesting that you bring up college because the way I look at that is it's, it's first of all, college football versus uh, high school football is a completely different beast. Did I say high school for the first part? I feel like I did. High school and college, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I feel like it's different for high school football is because, like I said, it's a different beast from college football. It's not even the same thing. I feel like in certain places, places like, I mean, let's let's be real, places like Texas where high school football means that much to the, uh, to the communities, um, I feel like you could see a situation where maybe you don't have students come back on campus and you could still have players come out and uh and play because in that situation in that situation i do feel like it is something where maybe money isn't the driving factor maybe like if you're bringing the college athletes back on campus and not letting the students come back or you're bringing them back on campus and kind of making some kind of bubble and having them travel all this way and uh doing all these things to make it so you can still play games and still make your money it is so clearly done for the sake of money it is, I mean, it is so obvious in that situation that they are doing that so they can still uh, salvage what little money they can from this lost season at the expense of the safety of the, of, the, uh, of the college athletes. In high school, you don't have to travel as far. 
there's not as much money involved. And for a much, much more real kind of sense of the word, those kids out there are 100% more doing it for the love of the game. Because once you go to college, that could be what you're going, you know, going and try to tell yourself that you're doing it for. And that a lot of people who are for the NCAA and, and for am- amateurism are telling you that these guys should be out there doing it for the love of the game. Well, it's easier to do it for the love of the game when you do it maybe two hours a day in high school and then on Friday and then you just take the weekends off and it's really just kind of a side hobby as opposed to when it's 40 hours a week for you know four years and you're just absolutely dying and your body is never the same when you do it in college. It's a different animal and in high school it's much easier I feel to make the argument that they could possibly do it for the love of the game than, uh, than, in, than in college. I was thinking about how, you know, as they were trying, I say they, the Big Ten, was trying to move towards getting this season done, and they released the schedule last Wednesday, I believe that was, so August It was, uh, it was such August a, I mean, and, and I'm, <laughs> I know that this was in the worst timing, but like you sent me and Trevor the text about the Ohio State game, and <laughs> this was right when I had no power, and yeah. I also thought that there was going to not be a season anyway, I was just like, I don't. I don't care. It's not even going to happen. We're not going to play Ohio State. It's it's, and 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 now we're like kind of a week later. And what do you know? Here we. Are. It's kind of like when the uh, when March Madness said there's not going to be any fans, and everyone kind of looked at it and just kind of thought, well, I mean, you're saying that, but we all know that that just means there's not oh, yeah. going to be any tournament anyway. So I, I want you to, and I feel bad that I put you in this position. Like, hey, Harry, you used to play football, so tell me what you think <laughs> about this, but. For a second, if you could don that old, uh, uh, what what would be a cap that you wore back in college? What was a good cap? A helmet. Oh, a okay. Helmet. Well, yeah, don the helmet as you wore back in college, and you guys are practicing. I actually have my helmet in the other room. Doesn't you get to keep it? Anymore. My head. Yeah, I got to keep it. My head shrunk somehow. Huh, okay. Know, I lost a lot of weight. So you are practicing over the course of two months, and I know the workouts are intermittent, and they're staggered and all that kind of stuff, but then practice begins after the schedule is released. And I, I think you probably would have been feeling the same way back then as you do now. You would have been thinking, all right, are we actually going to get this done? And I'm sure a lot of players thought that too. But nonetheless, does it not raise the temperature a bit and get you uh, get that competitive thing kind of going when you do see something tangible like a schedule? And then you do get told by the conference, okay, practices can properly begin on Friday and you get five days into it and then the plug is pulled. I, I would think that that would be jarring, even if you entered it with very kind of meager expectations. I would say it's kind of dependent on where they necessarily were. I know they never got to actually padded practice, but with how quickly everything's been happening, it wouldn't surprise me if they had already started to do some semblance of game planning for Ohio State. Because if you're out there and you're doing – football position drills and you're doing maybe some conditioning and you're lifting weights, you can kind of look at it just as we're doing what we need to do in the off season. And maybe in the back of your mind, still thinking, well, we're just kind of making sure that we're okay for whenever football does come back. Now, if they actually had started game planning for Ohio state, if they had actually started watching films and doing some certain kind of installations and different kind of packages, that's when it starts to change from, well, let's just make sure we're ready for whenever football gets here 
to let's make sure we're ready for Ohio State because you don't go into a game week, you don't go into a uh, preparation for an opponent thinking that you're not going to then eventually play them. These guys there, it probably was a nice little reprieve from the uh, from the world around them looking at if they were doing, uh, you know, if they were game planning for Ohio State, thinking that, okay, I'm going to go in today and what are we working, what are we working on today? Okay, so today, today we're going to see what would we have to do via maybe uh, zone running if we're playing against this front against Ohio State? What kind of pass protection are we going to do? What are we going to do on defense? So when that kind of becomes the situation, you might be able to trick yourself into thinking that this is something that is not only a possibility, but something that's going to happen. So I would say that the kind of like the line of no return would be whether they got to game planning or not. So if, if I had, if I was in the situation, if we had gotten to game planning, it would hurt a little bit more. If not, I would just look at it as, well, let's just continue what we had been doing anyway. And let's just continue working out. I had a conversation, let's call it, with Josh Matterbebe on Twitter yesterday. And it was actually, you know, back and forth, I think about four tweets each. And uh, some of the things he was saying, I, I totally understand. And he's obviously a very uh, thoughtful individual, and he is also living this. So I wanted to make sure to respect that because however disappointed I may be as a fan, it can't compare to someone that actually puts in, as you said, 40 hours a week. And now they're being told that they can't apply their trade. They can't do what they're best at. So anyways, in this conversation, we were talking about the incentive for college football players that if they have games and they have their team's safety to think about and consider, they will act differently when all the students come back to campus. The point being they will be incentivized to behave better. Now, as I responded to him, I do understand that, right? But I would also counter by saying we are in a once in a hundred years pandemic. I would hope that the incentive is there regardless of if there's football games to be played. But that's an aside. So do you think behaviors would have significantly changed? I could see it for a couple guys who are like, gosh, darn it. I want to make sure that this season gets off without a hitch. But when you have a locker room that big, I don't know how airtight that argument is. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's break this down real quick. Okay. Brand, Brandon Peters, the leader of the offense. Of course he's going to be careful, right? Josh Matter Baby, leader of the receiving core. Of course he's going to be careful. Daniel Barker, Luke Ford, uh, Mike Epstein, everyone, Jake Hansen, everyone that you can name is going to be careful. You know who's not necessarily going to be careful? The Harry Blacks on that team that know they're not going to see the field anyway. Now, I'm not saying that I would be the one going out there you wouldn't have been. and maybe throwing caution into the wind, but these are all the people coming out that we know would actually play, that actually have something to lose and something to gain. And I'm not taking anything away from them saying it's disingenuous. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're looking at this and thinking that everyone else on that team is thinking the same way because they would have no reason not to think that. But if a kid out there is looking at this saying, I'm not going to play anyway. No one even knows my name. Why should I just kind of throw the best four years of my life in the garbage if there's all these students on here anyway, all these people at parties, all these guys and girls out there drinking and having fun? Why am I not allowed to do that as well? And that's what there's going to be. There's 120 kids on a college football team. All it takes is five or ten to go out there. Less than 10% of the team to go out there and not socially distance and not 
maybe kind of put the, uh, the, the care of the football team ahead of their own to go out there and one of them contract the virus. Now, tell me if you think this is possible, Carp. On every team in a 14-team conference where there's 120 kids on each team, do you think there's not five kids on all those teams combined that is thinking that way? Because one of them brings the virus back to their team then however many people get infected, we've seen how contagious this thing is. Boom, one team's down. Boom, you're looking at a whole conference being shut down. That's all it takes. So so these kids coming out here, like like I said, I have nothing against Josh. I have nothing against these guys coming out here and advocating, saying that they're going to be careful. That's the ones that we see right now. That's not necessarily what the, uh, the people that aren't going to maybe see the field quite as much are out there thinking. You know, and this is why the we want to play movement is is tricky because when the five conferences came out and they had the statements of what they want for the we want to play movement it also includes health and safety protocols it includes compensation uh, things about eligibility if a player chooses to opt out and yet i saw a lot of people kind of co-opting that i say people fans co-opting that into see these 18 to 22 year olds they want to play let them play and i'm thinking a lot of the people that were making that argument now because they so badly want football you know, I'm generalizing here, but I get the sense that a lot of them also, if if you ask them in private, hey, do you think the players should be paid? They'd say, no, they get a free education. So I, I'm finding, yeah. I guess the point, Harry, that I'm making with that in particular, that we want to play movement, like everything, it's getting muddied because either people are misinterpreting it or they're applying it to the simple fact that they want sports back so much that they're ignoring the laundry list of items on that we want to play list and just saying, oh, they want to play. COVID, yeah, COVID be damned. They're good to go. Let's do it. Yeah, they're, they're looking at it. They're looking at it the wrong way. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, I'm not going to go down this road, but you can kind of draw a comparison to another kind of saying slash hashtag that's been out there for the last couple months in a different part of our society right now, how people have been able to uh, misinterpret that one. Which, which um, one? Black Lives Matter. People look at that and, oh, they, yeah. and then they say, you know, and then there's people that come back and say all lives matter, not realizing what necessarily that means. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you look at. I don't know why I said play. that's pretty embarrassing. It was like, well, which which hashtag? No, 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 no. You're fine. You're fine. It's, it's in a different realm of what we're of, of what we're talking about right now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and, and you could look at, at this, though, the we want to play movement, because obviously you look at that and then you say, well, of course they want to play. If I was on the team right now, I would be the one out there saying, of course I want to play. I want to do everything I can to be out there on the field. But that this is where it kind of brings up the, uh, the situation where I, I think I did see Josh saying stuff about politics, um, where you, you, you put out the idea of we want to play and then a group of players coming out here and maybe listing the things that they want in order for them to be able to play. And I think this might also be a reason that some of these conferences started to get a little bit scared and maybe start to shut down is because they looked at it and said, well, we can't really acknowledge this because the second we acknowledge what these kids are saying is the second that we say, okay, these kids have power as a union, as a group of kids out there. Better for us to just say, we're going to play it safe. We have the safety of the kids in our best interest. Let's shut everything down. It's kind. Of, it, that's the way I'm looking at it right now is because this movement of we want to play is more so a movement of 
we want to be safe and we want our demands to be met so that we can go out there and play. And it's not necessarily that I think the NCAA and these and these Power Five conferences don't want to meet those. It's that they don't want to recognize them because the second they recognize them, that that's the first step in the direction of unionization and and uh, and even maybe somewhere down the road, players getting paid. Yeah, and I also can envision this too. That let's say we get down uh, towards the finish line for the SEC, for example, to get their games played, or the ACC. Trevor Lawrence, of course, was the biggest name to come out in all of this. The best player in college football. He puts his name to it. And imagine a scenario two weeks from now, Harry, where we're two weeks away from the opening games of the year for whatever conferences choose to play, and then the players say, well, yeah, but our demands haven't been met. And imagine the outcry and people then responding, hey, you said you wanted to play. You wanted to play. <laughs> what happened Oh, my to God. That? There would there would be people doing that too. It's, well, be. it's it's going to totally happen if we get to a point. I think ultimately, though, because of the rushed nature of any season, even if they delay it until like mid September, late September, the rush nature of it, I, I do wonder how impactful the "we want to play" movement will be when two or three conferences are already out of it, and that you do have enough players that actually, at the end of the day may just want to play. Now, this all may be moot, Harry, because here in Champaign-Urbana, we got 40,000 kids staggering back to campus over the next two weeks. And I mentioned behaviors earlier. Doesn't it seem to you, I, I mean, I don't want to project an opinion on you, but I'm just thinking that knowing the behaviors of college students, and I can't say that I would have been any different, so this is not me on a soapbox, but 18 to 22-year-old kids that know that even if they get it, the severe illness part probably isn't going to be a consideration for them. They're going to, for the most part, act the same. Even if they got to wear a mask into their lecture hall, they aren't in their lecture hall all that much. They're in their apartments. And on Friday and Saturday nights, they're hanging out with friends, probably not masked if you're doing what most college kids do. So it just seems to me like we're inevitably going to have a time in mid to late September where colleges start shutting down because we got outbreaks in dorms and apartment complexes. It, it just seems to me like the leaders, specifically the presidents, they look at this as a liability issue for football, and they also know that they can just as easily pull the plug for the general student population. I hate to be so cynical about it, but it does seem like they, they want to make sure they get that money, the tuition money in this case, and then say, hey, we did what we could do. Yeah, and, and I've said this before uh, to any students that actually do happen to be out there right now listening to this podcast. All I can say is don't pay for college this year. Don't do if it. You're ever gonna take, if you were ever going to take a gap year or go to ITT Tech or whatever, do it now. Don't pay full tuition to go to one of these big-name universities because actually at the end of the day, if you look at it, this is a complete side note, but I think it's kind of funny. Um, who do you think is more uh, ready for a year of online education, Carp? University of Illinois, who's never really done it this kind of scale, or a place like University of Phoenix or ITT Tech, the places that do it all the time and don't have a real campus? So that that's just a complete aside. No, I think that's um, fair, though, and I, I that's one thing that, as a quick aside, I, if I have a regret about the classes that I took, and the money that it costs to finish all those classes, 
the Econ 102 and 103, the Biology 104, the Gen Eds that I didn't give a crap about. At least I could have not given a crap about it and paid one twentieth if I had just taken it at Parkland online and then focused on my major classes here. But of course, when you meet the advisors at any given university, they aren't going to say, hey, you know what you should do? Save your money. Go to the community college for that and just focus on the big big classes here. You won't get told that, which which leads to – it's a whole host of issues, Harry, where we could, and I think rightfully, be very cynical, not just about the way the colleges treat their student-athletes, but the way they treat their students. I, I, yeah. I, know, I, I know that there is an educational benefit here, but we would be remiss to not acknowledge that, yeah, sure, they were trying to start college football for money, but let's be real. They're trying to start colleges and universities for money. Yeah. That's why they're I mean, bringing they, them back. <laughs> that, that's why they're bringing all these people back, is, and you hit the nail on the head. They're probably, we're going to see when, these, when colleges do start to inevitably shut down, uh, a problem with you know maybe some people getting their tuition back. Uh, and colleges may be saying, well, we did give you a certain amount. Maybe if there was like a deadline, like maybe if they're able to keep classes going until uh, November, whatever, or December, whatever, and then say, well, you got most of the semester and you can't get your money back, something like that. Um, I do want to get back to the initial question, though, because I did have an answer. Okay. But I'm trying to remember what it was. Uh, what was the initial? Well, we were talking about what the gen ed classes and stuff, or were we it was talking? before. It was before that. It was before well, about the general tech. about general behaviors with these kids. Yes, and, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I want to say this. We, you do hope that when students come back on campus, they're going to be responsible and they're going to socially distance, and maybe maybe they're not going to be. Um, going out and partying as much and also, you know, not wearing a mask and doing all these things at the same exact time. I in no way, shape or form want to blame maybe like colleges shutting down in the future on the students coming back, doing what students have done for the entire history that there has been college. These are kids who are coming in here looking at these next four years saying, this is the time that everyone's been telling me these are the best four years of my life. And you're telling me that now just because of a virus that's not even going to affect me and it's going to affect people that really don't even make up a large percentage of this population because on, on campus, in any college campus like Champaign-Urbana, most of the people there are between ages of what? 18, maybe the youngest, I don't know if it gets down to 17. Let's say 17 to 25. Right. Let's say that little age group, people that when it comes to COVID don't have that many lifelong effects impact them, even if they do have it. The, the, the fatality rate is extremely low for that group. And the lifelong um, impact is is also pretty low for that group. Are you telling me that it's fair to then tell all these kids not to come on campus and do what kids have done for the entire history that there has been college? No, that's not fair. You, if this is a situation, like you said, these guys, these these universities are bringing, bringing people back on campus to make money. It's 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 a decision made solely in the interest of the universities um, and and you know them to like going around in circles make money. If that's the situation, just don't bring back students. You know, 
Because I don't, the last thing I want to see is colleges get shut down in a couple months and say these students weren't being responsible because they were doing what students have always done. Well, and that's what's going to happen, though, because if we take a cue. And that from, is what's going to happen, we, and it's not fair. We take it's a cue from to, um, Major League Baseball where – and granted, these are, <laughs> these are professional athletes. They should know better. But Rob Manfred, he comes out. He says, well, these players should know better. And not that I disagree because I think the Marlins are the most pointless franchise ever. And they, I'm thinking, really, we're going to lose the season to freaking Miami but and then the Cardinals. But, uh, but yeah. at the same time, you know, if <laughs> you are assuming for this to work, right, for this to work, you need to assume that everybody is pulling the same amount of weight in order to not transmit this thing. And I think that it is just straight up foolish. Essentially, to, to do an apples and oranges argument, it's the same argument of, uh, well, we should have, we should teach abstinence only sex education. And they're yeah, like, well. Because, because I mean, it would work, right? <laughs> it would obviously work. Because <laughs> you cannot, oh God, you cannot rewire our yeah. our monkey behavior we're, we're we're you know we're we're smart monkeys but there's certain behaviors that are just ingrained in what we do and certain behaviors especially that have to do with the environment in which you're in so if you are in a campus environment living in the dorms in apartment complexes on fraternity or sorority row you are not one going to avoid large gatherings of the other people and two when you are in those large gatherings you certainly aren't going to maintain social distance or wear a mask so it is absolutely no. foolish you know for the university of illinois uh that what they've been doing i applaud them on one hand for trying to leave no stone unturned but it's sort of like back to the abstinence only sex education thing i'm trying to think of like different roadblocks that could be put in place of a bunch of like you know really uh horny teenage kids like you know like they're bursting at the seams and you put all these things in place but guess what they're going to find a way around it oh yeah even if (laughs) they are they just are yeah i mean like you said that's we're wired to do that i mean my goodness who of us hasn't literally snuck out of our house at like 12 30 at night to uh, to go meet Susie Q down the road because ah, you, you, you have a chance to touch like the back of her bra or something. <laughs> it's in our heads. That's what we do. So yeah, it's the same. It's it's like on this on the same kind of platform. It's the same idea with these kids all coming back on campus. Um, I mean, if if you're telling me like Joey, I'm trying to think of another name. Joey Jojo uh, Junior Shabadoo. <laughs> they can call you That's the worst name I ever heard. Joey Jojo. Hey Joey Jojo. <laughs> but let's let's say uh let's say Joe Joey uh is going to college, right? Mm-hmm. He wants to he's coming back for his sophomore or junior year. Um so he's already been going to, to uh to parties in his college life and he's loved them and he loves doing it. And for the last six months, he hasn't gotten to do anything. Now he's back on campus. Oh boy. Now he's surrounded by all of his boys and all of the Susie Q's that he can possibly feast his eyes on. What do you think is going to happen? He's been pent up for the last half a year, and now he's being <laughs> exposed to what's going on or you know what does go on at college. And like I said before, you can't blame people for that. You can't. It's, it's human nature. That that was back to the point that Josh, the Matter Baby, was making in our our conversation yesterday. How, you know, 
he meant he mentioned that specifically six months away from your friends everyone's back on campus you think this is going to go crazy and I, I i responded by saying that's exactly my point and that whether there were football games or not the behaviors are not going to fundamentally change because these football players you know back to the pent-up thing they've been on campus now for two plus months and then all of a sudden Susie q and sally <laughs> sally joe jr shabadoo and now all of them are coming back <laughs> And, you know, and and I'm not trying to really make light of it. I'm just saying even reflecting on when I was in college and by no means was I a varsity athlete, but, you know, like you, you can't tell an 18 to 22 year old kid. I don't think if we're being realistic here, you can't tell them after seeing their friends for the first time in six and a half months, Hey, I know you're excited, but remember you should probably just hang out via zoom and stay in your dorm or yeah. apartment. You can't do that. It is totally unreasonable. Yeah. So we are, it, it, it boggles my mind, Harry, where on one hand, again, I applaud the U of I for doing what they're doing, but it's like, you know, you can put all the the traps in place, and, and this is actually an analogy that they used in presentation to their staff. The analogy they used was that their systems are like having four things of Swiss cheese, They are not guaranteeing that this disease is going to be stopped completely. But they're saying even if you put four slices of Swiss cheese on top of one another, chances are most of it will be mitigated. Now. I love that they used to, like, there's other things you could use. Like, you could use, like, a strainer strainer. or cheese cloth or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They use Swiss cheese. cheese. So. Okay. This is true. This is true. This is on a presentation to faculty and staff and maybe students as well. But and OK, fine. They, they are not saying that 100 percent the virus is going to be transmitted here. They are saying that we have things in place when people get it. But then I'm even thinking to the mechanics of, let's say, a kid gets it that isn't living in the dorm. Well, let's go with the dorms. They have rooms set aside for quarantine. OK, kid gets it. He goes to quarantine. Are we going to keep that kid locked up? And like, you can't do that, can't I do don't that. think. You can't do that because, I mean, here's the thing. This whole time, I know that, like, we have been saying people have to be, like, like even, um, like, where I work right now, someone had to leave. They had to go to a family function out of state to one of these hot zones or at least where our, or at least Connecticut calls a hot zone. And, um, and since then, he has been in quarantine. He can't come back to work for a certain amount of time. That doesn't mean he can't leave his house when he comes back. That doesn't mean that he is literally locked in a room. People aren't being locked away when they're being thrown into quarantine. Um, it's, it's more of a you aren't allowed to come here, not you have to stay here. So if you do have a situation where, like you said, in the dorm, where someone is catches a virus and has to be quarantined, you can't lock them up. That's not – I mean that's that's imprisonment. That's not – legal i'm pretty sure i mean i'm not a lawyer but that doesn't seem like you should be legally allowed to do that unless you're able to sign a waiver for that and that opens up a whole another can of worms i I don't want to be hypocritical about this because i've been very critical i should say of certain populations of people that have went about their normal activities when you know you got to be careful but they're throwing caution to the wind so on one hand one side of my mouth i'm saying 18 to 22 year olds you can't expect them to do this right on the other side of my mouth i'm saying well once you get out of college you should know better but is that oversimplifying it because you know i'm thinking about professional athletes they should be old enough 
Um, they are getting compensated for this. They should know better than like the Indians pitchers who went out to a Chicago nightclub and then got sent home by the team the next day because they broke protocol. But no, yeah, I, I just I don't want to be hypocritical about it, but I am certainly giving more um, credence to the idea that oh, college kids will be kids. But I'm doing so because the environment in which they're going to be in and the behaviors that have happened across colleges and universities in this country or anywhere, I guess, for the last hundred plus years, it. it that I think is much harder to change than individual decisions by adults. But I don't no, want to no. oversimplify it, though. Yeah, no, no, I don't think <clears throat> I don't think you are oversimplifying it because the way I look at it is the, the the sample size for professional athletes is so much smaller that that should be able to be controlled. I mean, let's look at it this way: there's forty thousand students on on the University of Illinois campus, right? Yeah, but I think that's like a, a number we can go with. Are there 40,000 professional athletes in America? I mean, of the major Ooh. sports that, that make all the money, I don't, I don't think there yeah. are. I'm pretty sure they're not. I wouldn't be surprised if there's not half that many. Yeah. So, and, and also, like you said, these guys are being compensated. They are in a situation where maybe they, if they do have to um, not go out to nightclubs and not um, go out to parties and, and drink and, and be with people in close quarters and stuff like that. They could still live pretty comfortably for a while because of the money they're making. On the other side of things, you look at students at a, uh, at a college campus, which there are, I mean, let's see, 40,000 university. And I'm not going to do this math. Let's just say, would you say there's, a, I'm, there's 360 million people in America. There's probably a couple million college students. I think that's fair easy. To say. I mean, I, I would say probably 20 million. I mean, we'd have to look it up, but yeah, we'd have to look it up. But there's there's a couple million of college students out there who are going to go out and do what kids do. I think. I mean, it's it's it's. I think you said this. It's apples and oranges. You have one group that's being compensated handsomely, and another group just being told, "Don't do this." It's a much larger group. You can't. I mean, it's it's like trying to hurt a. Uh, like or what's it wrangle a herd of cats you can't do it um, and you're just telling them to do something for the betterment of society and for the betterment of the of the overall health of the population that doesn't really kind of have that much of an impact on them directly yeah, yeah that's true you know I, the hardest thing for me Harry through this has been you know I I don't fear this virus like I, I don't lose sleep over it or the thought of catching it uh, but at the same time, I don't want to be cavalier about it. And I, I think yeah. the line that I'm trying to walk is between uh, not turning into some hermit that stays inside, but also uh, recognizing that certain things have more risk than others. So to me, I'm trying to be as balanced as I can about it. But no matter what, the people that do try to exercise that caution, and especially the college kid tries to do so, and not to throw out the old peer pressure argument, but again, you're in your dorm and a buddy says, hey, man, it's it's Friday. Let's go to uh, Joey JoJo's for some happy hour. And you're like, I don't know, man. I mean, th that's where it goes back to this idea that even for the people that would come into the situation and think, you know what, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be smart. It's amazing what the human mind can do in terms of rationalizing decisions and saying, eh, yeah, it'll uh, be fine. It's so it's just easy. It's, it's so easy. Every, I mean, when we all do. Like you, just, like, like you just said, someone goes on the campus, right? They look at it as I'm going to be super careful. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to go out and I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to go out to bars or do anything like that. You're sitting in your in your uh, in your dorm. 
one Friday in October after you've been doing that for a while. It's been getting super hard. Then Mike comes up and says, hey, dude, come on. We're going over to Schmoozies. And you're like, ah, I mean, I really shouldn't. Oh, you don't want to go over to Schmoozies? I heard Susie Q is going to be there. You like Susie Q, don't you? Well, now what do you think they're going to be thinking? We, we keep going kind of going around in circles yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in the fact that peer pressure, it's definitely going to be a real thing out there in these college campuses because there are going to be enough people being cavalier and they're going to have the kind of influence on, you know, the developing minds that are going into college that, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a train wreck. It's going to be a train wreck and it's going to be something that's blamed on the students and it's not fair. You're, you're, you are a purveyor of fear, Harry Black. You are, <laughs> you are you are inciting the masses. I mean, that's the thing, though, is as you say that, and and as I, I say things like this, I it's not trying to be an alarmist or trying to be fearful or, or stoke the fires of panic. It's not, it's not about that. It's just, okay, reasonably we can assume that this may not have a great outcome. And what's going to be really frustrating for me and what honestly might be the biggest frustration of the last five months, uh, certainly not being able to do the things I want to do selfishly, that's bothered me. But I think what's bothered me more at 33 going on 34, and uh, you know, you are what, 23 now, Harry? 25. Tw- 25, holy schmucks. Missed right. a couple of years there. That's right, Trevor's the younger <laughs> one. Okay, that's my, my yeah. mistake on that. But regardless... I don't want to be cynical about people, especially like decision makers. I want to think that they are using their best judgment and that they are looking out for the people that they are accountable for. But I don't get that sense anymore. I probably should have known better anyway, but I tell you what, it has been just like a slippery slope and I'm afraid that I'm veering directly into nihilism here. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. But what can you do? It's it's it seems like that's an option now. It's tough because we are all kind of accustomed to looking at this whole thing with the scope of this is how I look at it. This must be how everyone else looks at it, because obviously our viewpoint of it is the most rational to us. I mean, the way I'm looking at it is kind of I feel like it's similar to your to yours. I might be a little bit more. And this is going to obviously anytime someone says this, it's going to make you sound like you're part of the problem. But I'm a little more lax in what I do. Not saying I'm going to go out there and, oh, I get it. and spit yeah. in people's faces, but <laughs> I'll wear my mask. That's lax. And yeah, I know, right? No, I'll, <laughs> I'll wear my mask and I'll go to the gym. I'll keep my mask on. I'll stay away from people. Um, if I wanted, you know, a couple, like a month ago or something, I wore my mask. I went out with someone and we got ice cream, you know? So, I mean, and, and that's something that, if you if you say that to um, to someone who is being really cautious about this, they're going to look at you like you're the devil. And if you look at someone on the uh, on the other side of it, saying, "What are you being so careful for? Why are you even wearing a mask? You don't need to," you know. So I feel like there is certainly it, there's a line you can walk, right? I mean, I'm not I'm not going to. It's been six months. I'm not still staying at home and quarantining and saying I don't want to have contact with anyone else out there. I'm also not going out there, not wearing a mask um, and, and getting super close to people for the sake of getting super close to people. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not that hard to just wear a mask, to try to stay six feet away from people, to clean up after yourself, 
Um, like what, what I mean by that is like at the gym, they have plenty of sandy wipes. My gym does a really good job of that, mm-hmm. of having plenty of sandy wipes. Even if I'm not sweating, I wipe down my weights. I wipe down the bench. I wipe down the treadmill, anything, you know, I don't even know because they, they, the whole evidence of whether or not it lives on surfaces. I don't even know if that helps, but you know what? It doesn't hurt and it doesn't do anything to me. So we all look at this through our own scope of rationalism. And we all think that we're the most rational. So it's hard to try to say whether or not anyone's being like, you know, it's hard for me to say if you're being nihilistic or anything like that or cynical because you're looking at it the way that you've been looking at it this whole, the whole time. It's, um, it's just, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else to say. No, I, I get it. Like, I get like, it. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and the problem with this situation is it's just, all too easy to kind of get in circular logic and eventually arrive back at the same place, which is we're all sort of like, huh, well, how do we deal with this? And, you know, we're still learning, unfortunately. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to stop until we're on the completely uh, other side of this thing. But uh, appreciate the uh, chat as always, Harry. Hopefully we have, you know, I was looking forward to, you know, maybe getting four football games in, you know, four or five. And then doing yeah. post game kind of things, but uh, yeah, the NFL. I guess that there's still a chance. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. That's gonna be interesting. I I think that's gonna start. I don't know if it's gonna end. Um, I <laughs> I will say this as more of a micro thing. I told you and, and Trevor and you guys. I feel like you guys can only roll your eyes so many times when I say this name before you have to start to kind of listen to it with some uh you know with some seriousness let's hear it you start you start nick Foles week one. Oh, they might should be a playoff team yeah why not i mean listen, <laughs> the trubisky thing ain't happening so I'm, I'm happy to start nick Foles. bdn as they call them back in the day bdn the kid knows what he's doing <laughs> in midnight green let's see what he can do in navy blue well harry we'll talk soon hopefully again it is under the uh condition of nfl starting and we could do like an nfl preview thing but regardless we'll be catching up soon and just seeing how you're doing out there things going okay otherwise yeah, I mean, you know, work's been picking up a little bit with more um, with more s- sports returning. Sure. With more uh, baseball coming back and football co- – or not football, uh, college bas- – not, not college basketball. No college uh, anything. Baseball, no college anything. Uh, baseball coming back, hockey coming back, basketball coming back in the bubble. Um, I will say our own Trevor Valise has turned into a little bit of a hockey nut. Indeed. Blackhawks kind of – getting into the playoffs. Um, I don't think they did very good last night. Yeah, last they, lost, night checked, yeah. They, were down. yeah they, they got pretty, pretty plastered. I don't expect them to make a lot of noise against Vegas. Um, one little tiny little hockey note. I would only bring up hockey. If something uh, world record worthy happened, there was a five overtime game last night. Yes. Which five I think overtime. How long did that go in real time? I mean, that's like a six and a half hour game. Probably <laughs> it, was, it was six hours. It started, another game started half, like two hours into it, and then ended with another two hours to go Unbelievable. in the uh, in the longer one. And the goalie, this is what was sad, because I was watching it, and Trevor, I was texting Trevor. I was watching it, and I told him, I really hope the goaltender for, um, for Columbus doesn't lose, because he set a record for most saves in an NHL game. He saved 85 shots. Wow. And he, yeah. He went 85 of 88. He lost. Ugh. And it's and, and you know what's the worst is the last the goal he gave up in the fifth overtime. It wasn't necessarily a very good shot. And then people you and then people are like, 
oh, you got to save that. I'm like, you can't blame that guy. You can't. He could have let that one roll through like his his five hole or his fingers and been the worst goal in the world. You can't blame a guy after yeah. he makes 85 saves. Five overtime. So we're talking almost uh, when they five it was times 90, three. It was 90 minutes of additional game time. Holy crap. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> something. The game. It, it is nice. I know for you guys, for you, for Lon, and now I guess for Trevor, you got hockey back and then baseball's back. So there, there's something at least, and hopefully NFL not not long uh, either. But Harry, be well. We'll talk soon. We'll get back together, okay? Sounds good. All right. See ya. That's Harry Black. You know him, of course, from Tay and Carp and uh, all the 93.5 action and living out in Connecticut doing the ESPN thing and finally has more sports things to cover, which would certainly make the job more interesting out there. But good to catch up with him. And I, I didn't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of, hey, Harry, you were a former college football player. What do you think about this? A lot of those things have been discussed before, even with Harry and me and Trevor back when they brought student athletes back. But as always, good to get Harry on the podcast and, and catch up with him and Always unique perspective that I appreciate, and as always, a few laughs, because Harry's one of the funniest people I know. So we will get back with him, certainly sooner rather than later. And uh, in the meantime, though, I hope you all have a great weekend. We're going to take off the next few days and come back either Monday or Tuesday. You know, the absence of college football certainly makes the immediate future of the show, I don't want to say murky, we're going to continue to do these shows, but in terms of subject material... I don't know. But then on the other hand, for the last five months, we've kind of had to make it up as we go. So we'll find something to talk about. But in the meantime, have a great weekend. Uh, before we go, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. And they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com. Follow them on Twitter and also they got new designs coming out very soon. You're going to love these. I've already seen them. They look super cool. And uh, even without a football season, you may need these t-shirts to cheer you up. Fourthandkirby.com. Stay tuned for that. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. The best domain name, according to Trevor Belise. I don't disagree. For all your insurance needs, that's brianismyguy.com. For Lana Inquirer, the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners of the 200 level. Take care. See you soon, about four or five days from now. And until next time. It is the 200 level.